you please take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 38 this morning, building on last week's pivotal encounter when Jesus said to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter responded with that great confession, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so today we pick up right where that episode leaves off. So please follow along with me in your Bibles as I read beginning Mark chapter 8 verse 31. Will you please stand this morning? Mark 8 verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for, the, for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For what can a man forgive in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with his holy angels. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your sacred word. Lord, it is life to us, it is bread to us. To hungry hearts, it is bread. Now take it, use it to transform us so that we would be more like the Son of Man. Son of God, Jesus, our Savior. We ask these things in His name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, when my wife and I bought our first house, I think maybe several might be an understatement, but it is many years ago, I remember seeing that stack of papers that we had to sign and, and kind of feeling sick in my stomach. <laughs> those of you who have ever bought a house, you know that experience. And those of you who are young, one day you will buy a house, you will know that experience. Uh, see, I was always nervous about signing contracts. Always been. Because of the fine print. And you never know what you're really agreeing to until you read the fine print. But we all know we're under pressure in those meetings with the realtor or whoever, you know, the bank. And we've got all these papers to sign. 
We just start signing. I remember just signing my name. I flipped a page, signing my name. I don't even know what I wrote, what I signed to, what I agreed to. Fine print. Well, friends, this passage this morning is the fine print of the Christian life. Alistair Begg calls it, quote, the terms and conditions of being a follower of Jesus, end quote. But you know, Jesus isn't concealing anything in fine print, is he? He wants us to know exactly what we're getting into when we make the kind of confession that Peter made in verse 29, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those words don't come without a price. And you see, I fear that many of us in the church today have confessed Christ as Lord with our lips without really understanding the great demand that Christ makes upon our lives. And this passage this morning here in Mark chapter 8 is going to show us in full disclosure the cost of Christ. Let's look at it together and see, first of all, that Jesus corrects our misguided expectations. He corrects our misguided expectations. The previous episode in verses 27 through 30 shows Peter making this amazing confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. But the common expectation in Peter's day was that the Messiah would bring political and social deliverance from Roman oppression in particular and that the kingdom of Israel would be restored under messianic rule. You can even see the disciples still thinking this way in the first chapter of Acts when Jesus ascends into heaven and they say, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom unto Israel? You see. But Christ did not come on a mission of political or social deliverance. He did not come as a revolutionary, did he? Look at verse 31. And he began, this is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. There's this little phrase in this text in verse 31 at the end of it. And he said this plainly. I think the King James Version says he spake this word openly. This was not a parable. There was nothing being concealed here. Verse 32. To, I guess, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And then the synoptic writer Matthew fills in the blanks in Matthew 16, 22 with what Peter actually said. He said, 
Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. What? Rejection, suffering, and death. Never will it happen to you, Lord. That's Peter. And you remember I told you last week that Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 29 was the turning point in the gospel of Mark. We have yet to see Jesus speak of his death until this text this morning in the gospel of Mark. And this is the first of three times that he will explicitly teach the disciples about his impending death and resurrection in the gospel of Mark. But Peter, sort of the emergent leader of the disciples, he says, No, Lord, you are the Christ. You see, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It is the title of the Lord. It means anointed one, chosen one. It is the Greek equivalent Christos of the Hebrew for Messiah. You are the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for, Peter says. You are the deliverer that the prophets foretold. There's no way you're going down. And then shockingly, Jesus turns to Peter in verse 33. <laughs> And says, get behind me, Satan. The word Satan, the the name Satan, in the original language means adversary. Get behind me, Satan, you adversary of the truth. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. You see, in Peter's expectations of Jesus, there was no room for suffering. (laughs) There was no room for rejection and death. You ever gone into a situation with certain expectations? And then it, it just changes. And you're like, no way. Well, this is Peter right here. You remember I told you last week there's probably nine months, maybe ten months, up to twelve, maybe nine months to a year left of the ministry of Jesus. It's getting near the end. Things are getting more more private now. He's speaking more clearly to his disciples. He's speaking openly to them, Mark says, about who he is and what he's come to do. And Peter was like, no, this is not what I expected. (laughs) This is not what I signed on for, Lord. Peter's expectations for Christ and his mission was not only different from the Father's plan and purpose for the Lord Jesus, it was actually satanic. Right? And so Jesus, look at that. There's a phrase there. I guess in verse 33, Where Jesus, turning and seeing his disciples, you see, sometimes we have to be aware of who's watching. 
Jesus turned and he saw his disciples. And Peter's just saying, no way, you're going to die. And Peter, and Jesus looks at his disciples and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you guys, but I never want to hear those words from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. And so this is a convicting truth for us. And as well as a stern rebuke for an American church that has traded the biblical reality of suffering for a doctrine of positivity and prosperity. You know, I've been listening to... uh, some podcasts this week, and I've been sort of contrasting the ministry of Pastor John MacArthur with, um, what's the guy, the Crystal Cathedral guy, uh, Robert Schuller, the smile guy. You remember him? The Crystal Cathedral, who always wanted to talk about positivity and prosperity. You see, so much of the preaching and the teaching and the books that we read in the church today is not much more, dear friends, than Hallmark Channel Christianity. It's just a mushy sentimentalism that is perpetuated by a Christian industry (laughs) that that, uh, produces refrigerator magnets and T-shirts and coffee cups. Bumper stickers with verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, ripped out of their original context to create this unbiblical expectation that God's plan is always positive and always prosperous. Well, what about his plan for Jesus? It wasn't so positive, was it? Three words. Jesus mentioned suffering, rejection, and death. I mean, friends, when was the last time you went to the Christian bookstore and found a bumper sticker with Philippians 129? For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. We don't put that on the fridge, do we? That doesn't make for a good t-shirt. A collectible item. (laughs) So just like Peter, we have our own misguided expectations of Jesus. How often do we live like His plan for our lives is just focused on the here and now? to be more comfortable, to be at ease. But friends, Jesus did not come to build an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to make the Christian life smooth sailing. He was persecuted, hated, rejected. He was finally killed. He was nailed to a cross. And so should we be so shocked when these kind of things happen to us John 15, 20 says, Jesus said to his disciples, 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you feeling the heat from our culture, perhaps at work, at school? That's normal. That is the normal Christian life. We need our misguided expectations of Christ corrected. He did not come to bring us the American dream, friends. We follow him, we better be ready to go to a cross. And so now then, secondly, we see in our passage that Jesus calls us to know the cost of true discipleship. Look at verse 34. Calling the crowd to him. By the way, you remember the geography of where we're at. We're still in the area of Caesarea Philippi. These are, this is a Gentile crowd. These are pagan worshipers, pa- pagan, pagans, idol worshipers. Jesus calls the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now remember, this is before Jesus had been crucified. He's talking about taking up a cross. He looks beyond the twelve and he sees this crowd and he calls them together so that everyone knows this. If any of you want to follow me, this is what it takes. These are the terms and conditions, if you will. How many of you guys have... You've seen those terms and conditions, you know, on a computer like Microsoft or whatever program you're downloading, and you just you don't even read it. It's like 20 pages, and you just scroll to the bottom, agree to all, right? Jesus is giving us the terms and conditions. Those not willing to lose their lives for the gospel need not apply. I want you to think about that this morning. Are you willing to lose your life for Jesus' sake? If you are not, you either need to A, repent, or B, leave. If you are not willing to lose your life, Do not follow Jesus. Several years ago when I was a youth pastor, I had a young teenager, young lady, come to me and said she wanted to be a Christian. She wanted to be a Christian. Her words were this, quote, I want to be a Christian for real, end quote. You know, teenagers, they get it, right? They see through our facades, They get it. I want to be a Christian for real, she said. (laughs) And so we sat on the steps at the church and talked for a while. Friends, I didn't read her the sinner's prayer. She wants to be a Christian for real. 
I didn't take her into sinner's prayer. I didn't give her some sort of scripted gospel presentation. I didn't even read John 3.16. I opened my Bible to Mark 8.34. I sat it on her lap and I said, There, you want to be a Christian? This is what you have to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. But you may say, wait, I thought that salvation was by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Yes, it is. That is absolutely true, friends. But faith has visible evidence. And Mark 8.34 is what true saving faith looks like. If you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian this morning, and your life is not Mark 8.34, you need to think and pray. I want to ask you, is this what your Christianity looks like? Is this what our profession of faith looks like? Have we picked up that cross of self-denial? And we live in a culture right now that's the opposite of that. We're all about (laughs) self-indulgence. And Jesus is calling us to to a life of self-denial. You know, I think there's a lot of people in our nation today in the world today, who claim to be Christians. They claim to be following Jesus, but they're not not carrying any cross. Friends, if we're not carrying a cross, then we are not following Christ. Galatians 5.24, this is the Apostle Paul, he says this. It's as clear as night and day. Those who belong... To Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucif- it, is, it is a self-crucifixion. That's what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross and follow me. It means that you crucify the desire to please yourself And instead, live to please Christ. We live to please Christ in our marriages and our relationships with our children. And the way that we treat that slow driver on the interstate or on the highway who's going to cause us to be late to work. Young people, it means pleasing Christ at school. Let me just say, I was never a member of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Not because I wasn't athletic, but because I saw way too many young people like me professing Christ, but not carrying a cross. It's in how you treat your brothers and sisters. Do you hear this, young people? God actually cares the way you treat your siblings. 
and how you relate to your parents. To carry a cross means to to go to war every single day with, with private sins in our hearts. Lust, envy, pride, greed, stubbornness. You know, sometimes, you know, my, my wife will say, you know, you're so stubborn. And it's kind of a funny moment. It's like you guys just laughed, right? But it's not funny. It hasn't been nailed to the cross yet. What about our unforgiveness towards each other? What about our self-righteousness? Unwilling to acknowledge our own sin while easily pointing out the sins of others. You see, the cross of self-denial, friends, is the only way to find real life. Look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's It's not just about Jesus. It's about His mission. It's about His word. It's about His truth. It's about His message. Whoever whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I'm a dead man, Paul says. But it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live... In the flesh, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to listen to to what that faithful 19th century English pastor, J.C. Ryle, says. It's a little bit long, but it is so good. I have like fed on this all week, and been rebuked and convicted all week long. He says this, All who accept this great salvation must prove the reality of their faith by carrying the cross after Christ. They must not think to enter heaven without trouble, pain, suffering, and conflict on earth. They must be content to take up the cross of doctrine And the cross of practice, the cross of holding a faith that the world despises, and the cross of living a life that the world ridicules. J.C. Ryle, he goes on, he says this, They must be willing to crucify the flesh, to mortify, that word means to put to death, to mortify the deeds of the body, to fight daily with the devil to come out from the world and to lose their lives if needful for Christ's sake and the gospels. Ryle says, these are hard sayings, but the words of our Lord are plain and unmistakable. If we will not carry the cross, we shall never wear the crown. You see, this is the this is the cost of true faith. Mark 8, 34. 
So now lastly in this passage, we see that Jesus cautions us against valuing the wrong things. Look at verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, to lose his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, there are two warnings in verses 36 through 38. Two warnings. The first is the warning against pursuing the world at the expense of our souls. This is a lesson in spiritual economics. I remember taking economics. I had to take government and economics in the 11th grade. I didn't do too good. Friends, we can't afford to fail this economics test in these verses. Jesus says that all the things that we invest our lives in, what do we work for? Who, what was that old rock song? Everybody's working for the weekend. Remember that one? My goodness, everything that we invest our lives in, the comfort, the pleasure, the personal success, and the happiness of the American dream, these are the goals of our American ethos, our ideology. This is what we live for. But none of it is worth the ultimate price of our soul. If we gain all that this world has to offer, Jesus says, at the expense of our soul, then we have gained nothing and lost everything. It's gone. And embedded in this verse is the reality, is the truth, that we cannot pursue both Christ and the world at the same time. It's under the surface. Read it a few times and you'll see it. Christ and the world are mutually exclusive. So we need to make sure that what we are spending our lives on is going to follow us into eternity. This means that we need to be making spiritual investments, like you guys are here today. The priority of Lord's Day worship. The priority of daily scripture. Daily prayer. The priority of sharing the gospel with people who are on their way to eternal wrath. These are the investments that will yield an eternal return. Nothing else will. When I was a, uh, again, when I was a youth pastor, I used to, I used to did PowerPoint all the time. Kids are visual. And I, I there, this is a true story. There was a, a, a man who had, he loved his motorcycle. And he wanted his motorcycle buried with him in a plexiglass box. With him on it. He's not going to be riding that anymore. Nothing that we invest in on this earth that is temporal can we take with us. Nothing. 
It is of no value. Your house, I don't know if you guys drive around ever, ever, ever at all. I drive around different parts. I've never been to, what, what's it, uh, what is it, where, they, where all the celebrities live in California? Not Hollywood, but Beverly Hills. Never been to Beverly Hills. But I've seen some big houses. But in a hundred years, they're done. But the soul of the people who lived in those homes will, will, will live on for eternity. Nothing we take with us apart from those things that we invest in that give an eternal return. <laughs> Second thing that Jesus warns us about these verses is valuing the approval of man at the expense of the approval of Christ. Look at verse 38. The approval of man is right here. It's, it's in the verse. Whoever's ashamed of me. Now think about this. Peter, now we, we can, we, we're reading the text, okay? We can get the hindsight. Who just made the great confession? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter did that. Who denied the Lord three times on the night of his betrayal? Peter, here's Jesus saying, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, you think, we're, you think our, our culture's messed up? It has been like this from the word go. When Eve <laughs> believed the word of the serpent, over the word of God, she plunged, Adam plunged our world into what it is today. It has been an adulterous and sinful generation from that point. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be also ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels Friends, the reality of this verse hits hard, doesn't it? Because we're living in a time right now where if you stand for Christ, if you stand for truth, you will be censured. At, at the very least, that's the least that could happen to you. You'll be censured. You'll be put in Facebook jail. You know, if you're on Facebook, you know what that's all about. If you're not, then, you know. It's a slap on the wrist. You said something that I that that, that that you know they thought was offensive. So go stand in the corner for a little while. Many Christians and even Christian leaders are caving to the pressure. We're caving right now. How many Christians these days are too ashamed to speak the truth of Scripture to the issues of our day? I'm not talking about just preachers behind the pulpit either. How many opportunities do we get around our families to speak the truth in love? Yes, in love. But we don't because we know they'll reject us. Or even worse, they'll mock us. Or we might not get an invite to Thanksgiving dinner this year because of the way we believe. Friends, let us never be ashamed of Christ and His Word. No matter the cost. Because if we are, guess what? He will return the favor. 
when he comes in glory (laughs) with his Father and with the angels. So do we value the approval of man more than the approval of Christ this morning? Young people, when you're in class, when you're at school, and you just sit there ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. It is high time for us to stop straddling the fence and trying to play both sides. So what's the, what's the point? What's the big takeaway? What are we going to take home this morning from church? Here it is. The cost of Christ is high. And therein lies one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian faith. (laughs) Salvation is absolutely free, but it will cost us absolutely everything. Because it costs Jesus absolutely everything. It was our sin that brought Him to our world on a mission of redemption. He was despised. He was the suffering servant of Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by those who should have believed in him. But he went to the cross like a lamb. Led to the slaughter. Just no resistance. No fight. Why? Because it was what he came to do. He absorbed the holy wrath of a holy God for sins that were not His own so that anyone... That's what He says here in the text, right? Mark 8, 35, I guess, 33. Anyone who would follow Me, who would come after Me, anyone who would believe on Him through His person, through His work, might be accounted righteous by grace through faith. Jesus carried His cross, and now He calls us to carry ours, friends. The old hymn says it best, Must Jesus bear the cross alone, and all the world go free. No, there is a cross for everyone, and there is a cross for me. You see, Jesus did bear the cross alone because He was the only one who could. The sinless shoulders of the incarnate Son of God carried the weight of the world to Calvary's hill so that you and I might be set free from the weight of sin that burdens us. Oh, but friends, we must turn away from ourselves. We must turn away from our sin and look on Christ in faith and then pick up our cross and follow Him. This is what He is calling each one of us to today. Let's pray.